All right, episode 43, Social Witnessing, with our new friend, cartoonist and video game art uh, director, Jeff Coates. What's up, Jeff? How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Good. So this is our third attempt. We've had some technical (laughs) difficulties, which is uh, a sign of the times right now with what's going on in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. We started started talking just a little bit about, um, we're all kind of in a weird headspace here, uh, having been glued to the news for the last couple of days. Yeah, um, me too. I it's I've been watching it nonstop for the last uh, the last twenty four forty eight hours. It's unbelievable. It is, and uh, for you especially, doing a lot of um, cartoons with some political undertones. Uh, you said since uh, Trump kind of came into office, can you tell us a little bit about how that came about, and maybe your history a little bit with it as well? Yeah, absolutely. I. Um... Um, so I've always, the cartooning that I do has always been sort of a side gig. Um, it hasn't played much of a part in my, uh, work in video games. Um, but I've always drawn on the side. Um, and, uh, I've, I've left the political stuff out usually when I, when I post stuff to social media up until 2016. Um, I didn't want to, I don't know. I just, I just didn't want to like, uh, put out anything that was alienating to people. That's how I felt about it at the time. Mm-hmm. And then when Trump was uh, elected, it, I lost my mind. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> believe it. I couldn't believe that they were electing this guy. And, uh, you know, I was born in the States and uh, I grew up here in Canada. Uh, but I'd always followed politics south of the border and was you know really heavily invested when obama was elected i thought that was the greatest thing and then when for this guy to come along and actually win i it it something went off in my head and i just i started drawing um trump cartoons around that time and um because he was so offensive uh, just visually <laughs> amongst yeah. other things policy wise like it it uh I kind of snapped. And so I just started doing a lot of cartoons about Trump and mostly just silly stuff, you know, to my mind, um, mostly based on how pompous and ridiculous he is. I just couldn't believe that they hadn't gotten past the fact that this guy was a, like a third rate reality show host. I mean, that's all he is. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and why are we still not just talking about that? Like they're taking him seriously as a president and it just drives me crazy. So anyway. And a failed businessman at multiple businesses that he was handed. On every level failed. Yeah. I mean, he's failed at everything. I, I mean, he's failed upward to such a ridiculous degree. It's, um, it's really maddening. So how, what was the reaction like when you kind of made that shift and started posting those cartoons? <laughs> There's a lot of people, well, obviously him being polarizing, uh, the drawings were a little polarizing as well. Um, a lot of people started following me then. Uh, and a lot of people started either unfollowing me or just trolling me, right. <laughs> which is, which at first was a little upsetting. And then after a while, it was like, just bring it, bring it on. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask what that's like to kind of get the wrath of, of the political sphere. I, um, yeah, just a bunch of thoughts on that. I mean, I think, um, a lot of them were young, young guys. I mean, I would always click on their link just to sort of see who it was, who was trolling me. And, almost always it was some young white dude Mm -hmm. and um 
you know, I had, I had been thinking for the longest time, like, you know, the next generation is the generation that's going to fix all this nonsense. And then I started seeing all these guys <laughs> and I thought, well, maybe not completely. They won't fix it, but you know, like, cause there's a bunch of, everyone's just conditioned by whatever they're in. And I think a lot of these guys are just, um, uh, they're just brought up in, in this sense of privilege and this sense of uh, like, they're, they're listening, they're in their own bubbles basically. And that was something else that I noticed is we are all in our bubbles and we are all sort of, it's very hard to talk to each other. I started by like trying to engage with these guys and change minds and tell them where I'm coming from and have a discussion. But how'd that work out for you? Not so good. Not so good. <laughs> uh, it doesn't work. It, it, I changed no minds, which yeah. was disappointing. And I would get so angry and wrapped up in it and upset by, by it that, you know, I just started blocking everybody. I might, the, the number of people that I have blocked is, Un, is legion it's there's so there's like thousands of people that every time it's it started i would just i would get some terrible comment and i would just block people and so now it's in the thousands um right wow yeah it's and then and now i don't even mind if they want to like make a comment a bunch of other people will jump on them it's good for my algorithm like i don't care say whatever you want they get, tend to go away after a while if it's really egregious and terrible i'll i'll block them but so are you still getting some of that hate anytime you post? Because every been now and again, it. every now and yeah. again, yeah. I um, uh, I've switched focus a little bit away from uh, Trump towards a lot more uh, Vancouver issues. But um, every now and again, I'll I'll post I'll post something and someone will jump on it. What I do find though is they've gotten a little. I think they've gotten a little quieter. Um, mm -hmm there's less um there's less bravado in it <clears throat> it's, there's a lot more defensiveness to it and um whenever i post something like i posted a drawing of him of trump as sailor moon for some reason <laughs> <clears throat> and i and i posted uh you know he was saying uh drink bleach you know oh right yeah. as he does and then you know the the kind of comments I would get from people were like he didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> they used to really defend him and say he was the greatest guy in the world. Now they're just telling us that he's not advocating drinking uh, cleaning products. So that's the best they can do now. Right. <laughs> and with the uh, actually the Vancouver stuff, mm -hmm. um, I think that's one of the first things I saw from you um, is the viral post you had maybe like six months ago on Reddit. Mm -hmm. Oh, the weather yeah. one. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that one and how, what that experience was like? Yeah. That, so what happened there was, so I work at a, at a game company called Relic, um, and it's down on Fifth Avenue in Vancouver. And uh, right next door is the offices for Vancouver is Awesome. Mm. And um, so like I say, I, I do a lot of the cartooning I do has always been on the side for me, aside from my regular job. And, um, and I'll draw in the mornings or the evenings or whatever. Anyway, I was walking past Vancouver is Awesome's office one day and I thought, um, you know what I'd like to do is maybe just do some drawings that they might want to carry. Um, that's maybe a little bit more Vancouver specific. I mean, I've lived here my whole adult life. I love Vancouver. And, you know, I thought I had a lot of material that I could use for that. 
And I thought, well, this would be interesting. Like to get somebody to actually publish them apart from just putting it on Instagram would be kind of fun. So then I went away and I started, I, I started drawing a few of them. And actually that one, the one about, um, I drew, I was in, I was in a, uh, I was in a coffee shop with a group of friends and we were talking about the fact that it was cold out and everyone was talking about, well, you know, it's, it's not like really cold, but it's a wet cold, <laughs> which I laughed at because it's what we always say in Vancouver when we're defending how cold it is to somebody who's actually living somewhere cold. Like the rest of Canada, I think just rolls its eyes at us some of the time. Right. So that was the cartoon where yes. somebody essentially rolling their eyes. That's right. Really? Yeah. The hipster saying, but it's a wet cold. Exactly. Exactly. Because we all do it. We all say that. Anyway, so yeah. that was one of the ones that I was doing for Vancouver's Awesome for a little package I was putting together. And I posted it early on my Instagram. Red, somebody on Reddit picked it up and started um, and put it up on Reddit, which without me knowing. And and then it kind of went bananas and someone pointed me towards the Reddit post and and then Vancouver is awesome picked it up and they ran it and one of their reporters emailed me and asked me about it and I said you know what's weird is I drew that for you guys (laughs) (laughs) um and uh so that that led me to a conversation with um Bob Kronbauer who's the publisher at Vancouver is awesome and uh he and I got together and chatted he's a great guy and and we sort of clicked on a on a number of levels and and uh, I asked if he'd want to use me as a as an editorial cartoonist for them which he did and that's what i've been doing since so a lot of the vancouver stuff has been uh, came out of that one drawing yeah and, and i assume that was a much better uh much better interactions from that virality than any of the trump <laughs> stuff in fact. i get a few trolls but not that many um uh <laughs> It's less people find people find a reason to troll anything. People will find a reason to troll anything. There was a drawing I did um, that they just put on the cover of their last issue. It was this big drawing of um, Nigel, uh, the deaf interpreter, um, right, uh, standing in the middle of a park, surrounded by people, and uh, and so they ran that on the cover, and then I reposted it today, and and people were jumping on me a little bit saying like hey that's it's not that bad people are spacing themselves out where have you seen this and I, you know i just want to tell them it's a cartoon and it's not like i'm i'm not doing journalism this is not a reporting thing it's just sort of an opinion um so yeah but that's about as bad as it gets with vancouver stuff yeah i saw that on your instagram today and it made me laugh and for people who are saying it's not really like that i mean you should come downtown (laughs) on a nice day and go to our beaches yes because this is why we're moving in two days as part of the reason we're moving is because it's absolutely bananas here really hey yeah it's i don't think other parts of the city are like that i can see why people who might be in other parts of the city feel like everyone's doing a great job but yeah i was talking to my aunt and the other night and she's like oh wow there's like hmm, 30 oh maybe 50 people down at the beach with sparklers having a dance party wow yeah i was like because she's watching from her balcony and i'm like oh <laughs> yeah this is downtown yeah and even even like a little earlier on when things like people have started relaxing a bit now mm-hmm. whether they should or shouldn't is a whole different debate yeah. but people have yeah even before then we would like drive to try and find some open space to take our son to and the parks were all like full mm. like people were kind of spaced yeah. but 
They were full. Yeah, we're up on, um, we're just off Main Street on Quebec. Um, and I don't know, I feel like it's really block by block. I mean, our lives since the lockdown or the self-quarantining happened have gotten, you know, pretty small. It's sort of, we're here most of the time. And, you know, we'll go down to the grocery store in the corner. Or we go out to Pacific Spirit Park to take the dog for a walk. And that's pretty much what we've been doing for months now. And mm-hmm. uh, But every now and again, like I've had to go downtown a few times. And you're right. It, it feels like a different world. Everybody's experiencing their own reality in their neighborhoods, I think. Because mm-hmm. the, the level of interaction here on Main Street, like I'll be walking down the sidewalk. And if someone's coming down the sidewalk toward me, this is just on 14th Street they'll like walk out into traffic or they'll walk up on the grass. Like we give ourselves room here, but I, I had to go downtown the other day and it just seemed to me like nobody cared. Everyone was just like brushing past everybody. And it very quickly after all this started, I just became not used to that type of like closeness with people. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's affecting us in this strange way. That's going to take a really long time for us to get over. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think everyone's everyone's got their own their own reality that they're dealing with, their own level of interaction that they're dealing with. I mean, I don't even before this, we were living in Chinatown before we lived here. Uh, we were living in a high rise in Chinatown. And uh, I can I can't imagine being in that building now with this going on. Like the apartments were small. There was always a lineup for the elevator. You were in elevators. I mean, the sidewalks were crowded and to be you know, that's a lot of people are living like that now. And it's, um, it's a good reminder that I just how lucky, you know, I am to be, to be living where I am, you know. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's probably hard too when you're living in a high rise to, to keep up with the social distancing, because it yeah. does, I think, wear you down. And like just yesterday, our elevators in our building are two different sizes, and one of them's quite small. Mm-hmm. And so you can't social distance in it. And I was in it, and someone tried to get in with me and I asked him not to. And he actually swore at me. Really? <laughs> really mad and swore at me. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, even that, you start feeling uncomfortable to even say, like, can you give me my distance? Yeah. So, yeah. I, it's definitely depending on the neighborhood you live in. It's, it's different. Yeah. And the feeling of like, <laughs> they don't care, sort of. We, we've had that every time we've driven out and kind of seeing the sidewalks and in front of shops and liquor stores. It's just kind of the feeling you get away with. Like they can't really care that much mm-hmm. because nobody, they don't seem, they don't seem worried. No. Um, yeah. But they probably don't need to be worried. Like for us, like it's different. Like I, I have an autoimmune condition. I don't know to what degree it would affect me if I got sick, but I don't want to find out. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So it's, I think it's different for everybody, how they feel about their own personal health and the people around them. Well, that's the tricky thing about this disease, I think, is that, you know, we're doing this not just for, everyone can make their own assessment for themselves. And, you know, if you're younger and healthy, it's, it's easy for you to think, you know, if I get it, I'll be fine. Mm -hmm. But we're doing it for each other because, you know, like even with my wife and I, if I, you know, now when we're sort of expanding our bubbles, I, I'm going to go meet a friend out in a park today. This would be the first person I've actually seen, you know, face to face in a long time. But we had to talk about that. And because I'm not just 
it's not just me going to meet him. It's her because I'm going to bring that back with me. Mm-hmm. And for everybody, we all have to be cognizant of the fact that there are other people that we're going to be around that are going to have to like, so it's, it's tricky that way. And because I think we've done so well in BC with, you know, flattening the curve and all of those things, it's easy for it to seem like it's not real or that it's yeah. not a big deal um, because we haven't had the kind of cases they've had elsewhere. But, um, and I think too, um, it does lead to a lot of frayed nerves. <laughs> I, yeah. If you're one of those people, like I might be, I'm not saying I am, but I might be one of those people who like just usually internally gets a little angry at people for not doing what I perceive <laughs> to be the right thing to do. Like, you know, people who don't signal or people who don't like hold doors open for people, you know, any of those things normally back in the old world. Um, this disease and like the kind of behavior that we're expecting out of each other, if people aren't doing it like that has flared up for me. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, I see it all. I see it all around. I mean, we'll go for a walk out in the woods and I we we're out there one day and we just saw arguments breaking out all over the place in the woods because like <laughs> well. people are getting too close to each other or whatever it is. And um, it's uh, <laughs> we're all a little on edge right now. And that's yeah. and again, I think that's in BC where like we're doing really well. We don't, you know, we don't have like what's happening down in the States. We don't have crazy numbers of cases like they have back East, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, uh, it's pretty sobering. Yeah. I definitely couldn't imagine being somewhere where it's even worse. Yeah. Like we were speaking to someone um, who has, she's from Brazil and she has family in Brazil and it's the same. She was saying like every phone call she gets is someone saying, Oh, I have it or mm. so-and-so has it. And, that's just, I think that's rare here to actually, you know, we've only met a few people that have either had it or thought they had it. So, yeah, I, I, there was a, a, something I heard in a podcast yesterday saying that I think it's like 14% of Americans now um, know somebody who's, who's died from it. And, uh, and I can't think of one person who's even had it yet. Um, I mean, that's just how lucky we are here. Um, and then if you go on social, everybody in like, especially the Vancouver is awesome stuff. There's always a couple of people saying like, this is a hoax. Nobody's getting sick. Right. Like, why don't we open it up? You're, you're smashing our, our economy for nothing. And it's like, well, why do you think we haven't had the outbreak? Exactly. Because we're, yeah, because we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And we've had great yeah. public messaging around it. So. Oh, but it hasn't gotten bad in two months. Yeah, that's not how viruses work. Exactly. Like, you're not out of the woods. And I don't think we know but, enough about this disease either, right? Like we, yeah. we don't even know. I, I was reading articles yesterday saying it's a blood disease, um, which they're starting to think it might be. Um, mm. So, I mean, oh, wow. we just don't know. Yeah, we really don't know almost anything. Mm-hmm. I, I understand people's frustrations, though, because if like financially this is yes. impacting you like extremely, then you you probably do feel like, OK, like enough's enough. We just got to get out there and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Like I um, it's easy for me to sit here like I've I've been able to keep my job. My home situation is really good. Like it's actually it's been it's been really nice. Like I, I my kids are all grown and gone as well. So I don't even have, you know the the pressure of trying to like either homeschool a kid or 
you know, just Mm -hmm. to always be in that situation. So I I can't complain about any of it. And there are so many people who just, they need to work and, um, or they're out of work. And um, it's, it's scary. It's, it's a scary financial situation for a lot of people to be in. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in the um, yeah in the states, there are all these numbers coming out. Like unemployment might be like twenty five percent now, and it's only going to get worse. And with everything that's going on there now, it's you know it's not just the pandemic anymore. Yeah, and, and they might the pandemic might actually be really about to 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 um, flare up there again. Uh, in a few weeks with with everybody out on the streets i would imagine i think it's i think it's only a matter of time before you know those pictures of like the people in the ozark swimming pool go home and uh, like all the people that that have been out who are who are going to be diagnosed within yeah like you say like in the next few weeks and then that's the i don't even know if that's the second wave is it it's sort of second half of the first wave really yeah yeah and uh, yeah I feel like, well, it will be hard to have a, a debate anymore whether this is real, quote, quote unquote, real or not real anymore. I feel like we're going to find out one way or another. And I mean, yeah. I don't really think it's much of an argument anymore, considering you could just look at countries all over the world yes. where it is very real. But at least maybe for, for those small sects of Americans and some Canadians who just think this is overblown, well, yeah. we're going to find out one way or another. Exactly. And I it makes me wonder what um, like what it's going to look like going forward. I think the stage is in for a long ride with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think most of the rest of the world, well, yeah, most of the, most of the countries that have been affected so far anyway, are going to come out of it a lot sooner. And, you know, and us being right next to them, like, what does that look like? Do we keep the border mm-hmm. closed and we just sort of like, open up more trade with other countries like what's going to happen are we just going to hermetically seal off the united states i mean i i don't know it's it's everything is just so unknown right now mm-hmm. yeah canada is it's very interesting to see like if we're just gonna you know continue being on top of it mm-hmm. and have have leadership that is really dedicated to it we've been really lucky especially in bc absolutely um, that our leadership has, you know, has really been full throttle in support of, you know, keeping everybody safe as opposed to, yeah, just just folding to um, economic pressures. Exactly. That's kind of nice, nice to say. I don't feel like people often say, hey, my government's doing a good job. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not a common thing people say. But that's, so. you know, like, why not? I mean, like... <laughs> I feel like in Canada, we we should be really proud of how our government's acted for the most part. You know, like mm-hmm. um, even Ford in Ontario, I think he's made a bunch of missteps. But, you know, if I'm watching American news all the time and then I watch him, I think you're doing a good job, buddy. Nice job. Like, <laughs> uh, but we should all like this, this. And again, like having drawn a lot of american political cartoons and then read a lot of american uh, political stories i the inherent distrust of government down there is mm-hmm. like this is what happens uh mm-hmm. trump has sown you know mistrust in the media 
and there's a there's this core distrust of uh, politics down there, and you end up with nobody nobody delivering a consistent decent message, as opposed to here in BC, where you know the thing I've loved here is uh, Adrian Dix and uh, Bonnie Henry. They have been sort of like handed the authority to manage everything about this crisis, like whether things are open or closed, um, what the messaging is, they're doing all the press around it. Um, and so it's been really consistent and everybody has been aware of where we're at in things and what, you know, what we're supposed to be doing. In fact, even as they've opened things up, they've been really consistent around like how, how, how we need to manage it. Mm-hmm. And, um, that that goes such a long way. I read a great thing about how in BC, like the way that we've handled it has been really old school. It's just been information, get information out to the public, get information to the hospitals and doctors that's consistent and, uh, and early. And, and that's what's going to do it. Yeah. And I think we had two days of no, no deaths the last two days. Um, if, if I remember reading yes. that right. Yeah. And I think 11 cases last week or something. That was it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. So we're doing well. But then there's the question of now that we're reopening and people are filling the beaches, <laughs> what's, what's, what's going to happen? Yeah. I think this is the, the, the part nobody really knows about, right? I mean, we know what right. a lockdown looks like and we know what completely open looks like. But what does partially open look like? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And especially with the schools reopening, which yes. we've, we've ranted on before, it seems <laughs> an unnecessary risk with so little information. Yeah. Why open? I don't understand this. Why are they opening for a month? Like, yeah, the, the conspiracy theorists are out <laughs> that they want to infect us all and get this herd immunity going on faster. <laughs> Start with the parents. Oh, is it the um, herd immunity oh, theory? That's good. That's good. That's one. And um, also a test run for September. A test run. Yeah. But, but just by <laughs> calling it a test run, you're admitting that you have no clue what's going on. Exactly. So, well, didn't I say that a dry run for September? Yeah, it's like they're calling it a dry run. Yeah, so we, it's... we posted a little rant I had a few episodes ago. We posted it on Instagram where uh, the premier said, like, we would not have opened unless we were sure that everyone would be safe. And my rant was essentially like, how, how could you even say that? Like, yeah you're not sure of anything nobody's sure of anything exactly yeah they don't know at all and and uh i don't see why they're even <clears throat> even playing with it i mean it's yeah it makes no sense no i mean like you know in my in my industry and in, in games we've we've all gone home we've all started working from home and initially the thought was it was going to be a couple weeks right mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we all went home thinking it was going to be two weeks and then there was going to be well maybe a month and now we're talking about, you know, sometime in the fall, maybe. And it only makes sense because there's we're not going to get any kind of treatment or vaccine or anything for this. We don't know enough about the disease as it stands, but we're not going to, there's not going to be any kind of treatment for this for, what, a year? So why, and then if you look at the, the, the practical realities of it. I don't know how schools are going to do it because in our, you know, in our building, um, you can't have more than one person in a bathroom. And so you basically allow the number of people into the building that can have their own bathroom. And that's like in our building, it's 20. 
How are they going to do that in schools? Like all those kids using the using the washrooms, like that's yeah. supposed to be a really bad spreader for it. I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. Trying to stay positive, but I don't really <laughs> see how 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 it all kind of gets reopened up anytime yeah. soon. There is the hope that you know, since we have the entire scientific world, scientific community mm-hmm. working on the vaccine, we might be able to to break some records as far as how fast we can get some treatment, at least partial treatment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they are in human trials in a a bunch of vaccine. Um, so yeah, you yeah. But most of the experts are saying still, even with all that, it's still not going to be anytime yeah. soon. And a year is like, that's breakneck speed, right? That's, like, that's yeah. really fast. That's fast. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm also like, I don't know if I'm being overly optimistic or a little naive, but I'm kind of just hoping that because we have so few cases in BC, mm-hmm. if we could get it under control and get anybody who, like, if anybody who might spread it just doesn't somehow and we let it pass, and then we're very cautious of, you know, opening borders and doing things We'd like that. We'd have to be on full isolation lockdown as it, far as borders. And- mm-hmm. Well, I don't know, because I think they're down to one case on the island now, like on Vancouver Island. You know, and a lot of the smaller communities don't have it. So it's like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just being naive, but I'm just hoping like in BC, yeah. it would, I would love for things to open up again in September. Absolutely. And just be like, okay, we have to stay away from all the other provinces and be very cautious. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> from Alberta is welcome. <laughs> you stay there. We'll stay here. Yeah. Till there's a vaccine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I, and I think it would be, have to, I mean, we probably can't travel for, you know, until this yeah. is all over and, yeah, closing the borders off would be nice. But I do think you're right in the sense that um, I think I heard Bonnie Henry say at one point that, you know, what this means, you know, with the number of cases being as low as it is, that there is very little COVID actually out there right now. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you when we go out, and this is something I need to remember because <laughs> otherwise I act like a crazy person. Like when somebody goes <laughs> past me on the trail who's jogging, I just start like turning my head away and going, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't want to, do, I don't want to be a crazy person. So to just, you know, to realize that there's not that much, you know, there's probably not that much out there. So I'm probably okay. Generally speaking, um, is a good thing to remember. And I think there'll, there will be some sort of, I think there's going to be some sort of like middle ground that we try and strike over the next year and a bit. Like if we can put some more effort and like the province can put some more money into like figuring out better systems for homeschooling, um, Mm -hmm. better ways, you know, for work, I was thinking, you know, we can't get obviously in, in my company, we can't get everyone back in the office, but you know, is there a way that offices could kind of switch up the way they're looking at things and just, you know, maybe what small groups go in for like half a day to do the meetings that they need to do together and then go back and do work on their own. And I think a lot of those things are going to be changes that just sort of like inform uh, everything after COVID. Right. And I think the way that we work is going to change the way that we go to school is going to change. Um, and I think those could be some of the positives that we get out of this. And um, contact tracing is something that's kind of a hot issue right now. Um, the government, mm-hmm. Canadian government, um, has said they're working on that and that they think it's important. Now there's the issue of privacy, when, you know, when everyone's essentially put on an app and yeah. they have everything you've done, then that raises other concerns. Mm-hmm. 
but but I just read today, and this might have actually been on Vancouver Awesome. I can't remember um, that an app, there's a app, a Canadian app developer that's come out with an app that they've been working on for the last couple of months that um, eliminates some of that. They don't store any of the data. They don't collect it. They don't share it uh, even after you've been uh, listed as a sick person. Yeah, I saw that. But but that they can uh, send an alert to anyone that you've been within range of yeah. uh, after you're listed as sick without collecting the data. So that would be amazing if we could get that. Absolutely. Yeah. I would, I'd sign up for that. No problem. Right. And they said they needed like something like 60% of the population at least for it to really make a difference. Oh, really? So it'll be interesting to see what the privacy debate and if they can convince people. And that's what they said. They said, it's going to be tough to get 60% if you can't convince people that their information is secure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that's, 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 um, that's gotta be a huge concern for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm getting traced all the time anyway, so I'm fine. Yeah. Just take, <laughs> take my data. Yeah. <laughs> that's such a, such a hard debate. Like I was telling you, Eve this, that like my I can't get I couldn't get into my Google Drive for work and I couldn't get into all these things my computer had half shut down mm-hmm. and it was because my anti tracking software decided Google was an enemy and was like this this site tracks you too much and wouldn't let me access anything <laughs> and I'm like isn't that the truth like I'm just constantly being tracked everything I do well that's the funny thing I think we're already being tracked we just don't we aren't that aware of it um, mm-hmm. it's all sort of under the hood. Um, and I think there was some there was some article I read in the New York Times that was about exactly this and about um, where your data is going. There was one company that actually purchased this data and they can track they could track a person like every uh, person's like um, they chose at random their entire day. You know, they went to this coffee shop and then they went over here and then they went into this building. And, and it's yeah. I mean, that's that's out there now anyway yeah yeah every time we have this discussion i end up just the end is me yelling it's too late yeah. it's already too late <laughs> like that that ship has sailed yeah there's nothing to worry about now don't do anything super illegal and just hope it doesn't become darconia yeah exactly yeah deal with or stop carrying a phone and just use cash yeah don't, and don't wear a mask just be off the grid yeah, yeah. <laughs> move out to the boonies and uh, build, build a hut i'm sure even if you wore a mask it can still recognize you just by that the, the eyes and the snippet of your face now maybe uh, well i'm sure they had a lot of um in china there's a lot of reports of all the facial tracking stuff that they yes. had uh, yeah. put out so i don't yeah. i don't know if it's true but i saw this article that that um that showed how you can hack facial recognition software and security cameras you paint one of those like uh, sort of grid camouflage patterns, like just a chunk of it on your face <gasps> and it throws the camera off and it can't recognize it as a face. Oh, interesting. Oh, interesting. You got to walk around with that on your face, but you know. Yeah. So suddenly everybody's going to be wearing camouflage. <laughs> right. You'll know if somebody's face is painted. You'll right. know you know you're up to no good. This is the world we're living in now. <laughs> right. He's, yeah, I wanted to ask, uh, you mentioned this earlier, that you've been in Vancouver for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious, kind of in reflecting back, what are some things that stand out as having gotten uh, improved a lot and what's gotten worse, in your opinion? Um, hmm. uh, well, Vancouver's always, I don't know, I don't know if I could say 
off the top of my head, like what's improved, um, you know, the older you get, the crankier you get. But um, mm-hmm. Vancouver has always been my favorite city in the world. I mean, I've traveled a bunch and and I've loved going to different cities, but I, I still, I, I know what I got here. I mean, it's the most beautiful city I've ever been in. And, uh, and there's really nowhere else I would rather live. It's really different. I moved here in, I moved here in 89 and I was 18 years old. And I was, I grew up in Kelowna Hmm. and uh, my, my entire childhood, the only thing I ever wanted to do was move to Vancouver. I just was, my grandparents lived here. We'd come down here and I just loved it. And I hated Kelowna. (laughs) Sorry, Kelowna. You kind of suck. But, um, and so when I moved down, um, I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a job, uh, I just wanted to move down here and I had a buddy whose couch I could crash on for a little while. I think that's almost impossible now for Mm -hmm. an 18 year old to move to this city. And within, um, I kind of missed the mark when I moved down here and I moved to Wally, which was not Vancouver. Right. Hot tip for people coming to Vancouver. Don't move to Wally first. It's not a great, (laughs) not a good start. Um, And, uh, but then within, a year of that, I moved to Kits, and I had a, I had a an apartment in Kits, and my own apartment in Kits, and had a job, and and was doing okay. And that's impossible for kids now to do. I mean, I I walk down and walk down to JJ Bean every day and uh, chat with the baristas, the kids who are working there, and they, that's one of their jobs, and mm-hmm. you know they have two, maybe three jobs two maybe three roommates uh, they're living over on the other side of town wherever it's affordable and and so the expense of the city is the thing that that i i think is a real shame right and it's such a it's such a strange debate because like in a way you get it because like we said like there's nowhere else we'd rather live and every mm-hmm. time we've thought about moving because of price it's like well where everywhere else is a feels like a step uh, I, don't know, I don't know about down but it doesn't seem like something we want to do yeah. and so like yeah if we feel like that then lots of other people feel like that and that's why th- things are so expensive absolutely yeah and um you know i i i had to move out when when my kids were um, my kids were born we moved out to port moody um, because back then it was affordable and we could buy a house and have a yard for the kids and stuff but you know that quickly got unaffordable. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that's, that's other range now. And so people are moving further and further out. And actually Bob Kronbauer, the publisher for uh, Vancouver is awesome. Um, ran a story a little while ago about, he had to move out to Chilliwack. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a guy who's running Vancouver is awesome. Right. And, uh, and you know, it's, that's the thing. We love the city, but it's, it, you know, in a lot of ways, it doesn't really love us back. <laughs> Yeah, that's what we're facing too. We're actually moving to Chilliwack as well. Coquitlam. Oh, not Chilliwack. Coquitlam. Potato, potato. Yeah, but we looked. Same out there. Yeah, we looked everywhere. And yeah, Chilliwack was one of the options just because it's more affordable. Even, yeah, more than the affordability, you have more space, which is something we were looking mm-hmm. for. That's right. Yeah. 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 And so I, I hope, I mean, right now I'm, I'm renting and uh, 
we're we're thinking of buying a place um but we know that when we do it's going to be tiny <laughs> mm-hmm. um but uh i don't know maybe some of the some of the regulations that the city's brought in or the province has brought in around um around house ownership and maybe the covid stuff you know changes mm-hmm. changes some of this i don't know but uh something's got to give you know otherwise we're just going to be one of those cities that is a great place to you know i don't know invest in but not necessarily mm-hmm. live in for a lot of people and and it makes it very unlivable for them i don't know how these restaurants are getting all you know how they they've before covid there was a lot of restaurants that were having trouble finding people to work there because um, a lot of people who work those type of jobs can't afford to live in the city. Right. Yeah. So. And if your commute is an hour and a half to make yes. $15 or less an hour. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I'd love to see, I'd love to see the city do more to make, to, to make it more affordable for young people to, to stay in and, uh, um, you know, to buy homes in those type of things. The other thing that really drives me crazy when I came here, there was an amazing uh, music scene. There was a lot of clubs. There was a lot of like venues. Granted I'm older now and I don't really know about them if they're there, but I think they all went away. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a bit of a, again, it goes back to, I think expense sort of a situation Mm -hmm. where a lot of these types of places have closed down, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we've seen like living downtown for the last 12 or so years, mm-hmm. like we see the turnover in, in brick and mortar, at, like every day when we're walking oh, out. Denman Street is the worst. Yeah. Like, Denman, yeah. Davie Street, yeah. uh, Granville Street. You just see that as the years have gone by, it's just been increasingly difficult for anybody to stay open unless there's some like big franchise. Yeah, it becomes that more chain, that big box uh the big right it's just mm-hmm. the, the starbucks mcdonald's subways that's right. kind of like you know what's happening in a lot of places in the world we're not unique in that respect yeah it, but um, it seems to be everywhere i mean that certainly if you go to new york uh, which we like to go to or have like to to go to every couple of years i mean uh midtown or times square has gone from like small shops to just big you know all the big chains mm-hmm. are there and that's about it yeah because nobody can survive the rent it's just exactly it's just impossible yeah, yeah. even with the traffic it just yeah not feasible yeah totally well um before we go i did want to touch a bit on your video game career because that's something really interesting and i uh, yeah. i've been a video game fan my whole life and our son is like well right now <laughs> he's he's playing video games right now and he's <laughs> a little obsessive nice. um so you want to tell us a little bit about what your specific job entails and kind of what you've done throughout your career yeah so i i started in games in 95 actually um and i was working at the time i was working for adbusters magazine um and uh i love that response i get that response from people in vancouver i say adbusters oh i know that one yeah i used to read that (laughs) so i was working for them we're woke they're obviously like a non-profit (laughs) and you know it was very it was a poverty <laughs> job, but uh, I, I was, I was hired as their quote unquote art director. And all I was, and what it was, was there was a government grant that paid my salary to train me to work on computers, which were kind of new. Um, 
and then adbusters would get if they paid half my salary would they would get an employee so it was kind of a government program that got me in got me in there anyway so we're working on the magazine and then um uh i was hiring artists for this issue that we were working on and one of them worked out at electronic arts and I didn't know anything about it, actually. So I went out there to meet with her and uh, I saw this office where there was money, like people were <laughs> people were artists and they were working in an office and they were making games. And it was it was incredible. So I applied um, and I didn't know anything about I mean, I played I had a ColecoVision when I was a kid, but that was about it. And then mm-hmm. so I didn't know much about it, but I knew how to draw and um because of Adbusters, I knew a little bit about computers. And back then, that was all you needed. So they hired me. And I started doing um, interface design on on a baseball game. A Japanese baseball game, actually. Do you remember the title? 3DO. It was a 3DO baseball. J-League baseball, it was called. Okay. And um, I didn't know anything about baseball. Didn't know anything about Japanese baseball, but that didn't seem to matter. So we just, you know, nobody on the team seemed to seem like at the time. But uh, so I did that game. And then we had our own um, baseball franchise in EA. It was called Triple Play. So I worked on that over the next five versions of the game. And uh, while I was doing that, I went from doing interface design to modeling some of the stadiums to eventually being the lead artist, um, mainly because I was just sort of interested in all aspects of the game and good at sort of corralling people a little bit. And then um, I switched over to SSX, which was their snowboarding game. And um it's a very well-known game. Yeah, that was yeah. that was really fun to work on, and that that one I ended up being an art director on on that one by the by the third version of it, and um, yeah, so I was I was at EA for ten years, and had like I say, had worked my way up to being an art director by the time I left, and then I kind of bopped around a bunch of studios in town over the next while. Did it mostly with like two years here, two years there. You work on a project and you move on because the the industry in Vancouver is so insular that you just sort of, you know, people work in one place and they go to the next. I think I moved around a little bit more than some do, but um, I went to propaganda and then I went to um, uh, Nexon had a studio here called human nature. Um, and that was really fun. We didn't actually put any games out while I was there. But it was a great studio, and then 2008 hit, and the whole industry kind of tanked. Um, but and a lot of people actually left the city to go work in studios in Montreal or down in California or whatever. I was really lucky; I, I was able to stay in town, and I went to go work for um, Next Level, um, and then back to EA, and then yada yada yada. Now I'm at Relic. <laughs> Uh, and I've been at Relic for like three years and it's, it's a great student. We do RTS games. So like strategy games um, and Relic has been mm. in Relic's been in Vancouver for, I think it's 20 years now. And in fact, the guy who started Relic was, was a junior programmer that I was working with at EA. <laughs> 
he was this young guy and he was like, yeah, I'm going to go start my own company. And I'm like, sure you are, buddy, whatever. <laughs> and he did. And I'm working for him now. In fact, I've worked for him specifically a couple times. So did he like uh, hold it over your head in like a joking way? He's like, I told you. Oh, he didn't remember me at all. Like oh. he was way too successful to, to remember the smug artist he was working with. Wow. So yeah, so he's, he's done well. And um, uh, yeah, and Relic is a great, great company. And um, we just moved into new offices um, this past year. And we're over in um, the Mount Pleasant area, just on fifth. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. It's been video games has been a great, great um, career for me. Our son uh, is all, he who's six now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he often says, or we ask him if we talk about it, we'll say like something like, "What do you want to do for your job one day?" Mm-hmm. And he uh, he says he wants to make video games. Well, for, he also says he wants to make ro- build robots <laughs> or make video games. You can do both. So for yeah, <laughs> do you think it's what side do you think is more important right now? The, the art side or the technical computer knowledge and modeling and all that? Um, I think uh, either path is valid. It really depends on what you're into, you know? Um, mm-hmm. In fact, if you're a hybrid person, if you're a, like a technical artist and that mm-hmm. those are people who can kind of like translate the code side of things for the artists and write tools for them and figure things out for them that's like the premier as far as i'm concerned sort of role to be in um Mm. what's happened i think in the last in like in the time of my career it's gone from when you were an artist when i when i started you basically begged programmers for anything that you could get programmers were gods and they were like they controlled everything and um, because the the hardware was so was so weak, and so you're working with very few colors, and you're working with you know not a lot of memory to to make things, and uh, and it's flipped, and so now artists can do whatever they want basically, and there's very few constraints on art, and there are still some obviously, but it's not like it used to be. So. Um, so either path is is good. A hybrid between the two is is great. But really, I think you know, for your son, it's like, what's what's he drawn towards? I think that there's, um, I think it's valid on either side. Programmers, obviously, I mean, programmers right now are in rare, rare supply, especially in Vancouver, because the the tech scene in Vancouver is changing a lot. We have a lot of companies that are not game companies. Um, that have moved into Vancouver and we find in the games industry, we're competing with a lot of other industries for programmers now, which is not necessarily the case for artists, right? Like artists tend to stay in games. Sometimes they can switch over to film and do a bit of film work for a lot of the effects houses that are in town. But for the most part, they stay in the games industry. Programmers can go anywhere. And that's why hiring programmers is such a, um, it's so hard right do you think there's anything to the notion that it's getting programming is commoditized uh that it's like you know the parents who have been pushing their kids to do programming for the last 10 15 years it might not be as valued uh of a profession later i don't see that um in the industry i'm in like like i say programming is um programmers are are in short supply and are really coveted 
Um, if we could get some rendering programmers in, you know, rendering programmers in every game studio are super rare and hard to find mm. and everybody wants them. So, um, so I think, I think programmers, uh, programming is just looking like a great sort of like direction to go in for a career. It's a completely different, you know, mindset, obviously, but, but yeah, like they're, they're needed. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, for now, he's uh, more into playing than doing <laughs> any, probably... any kind of work. So maybe he'll just be a professional streamer. Yeah. <laughs> also, also apparently good money in that, too. Yeah, yeah a, a, a new career choice that wasn't available to My us. My son told me about 12, 13 years ago when he was, I don't know, I guess he was about 12 or 13. <laughs> I said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And he goes, I want to be a YouTube person. I lost my mind. I was like, there's no way you're going to try and do that. There's no <laughs> money in that. And then I realized over the years, oh, no, there's a lot of money in that. Oh, okay. Some yeah. of the, yeah, some of the most well-paid kids <laughs> in the exactly. world are on YouTube. Yeah. I wish I had encouraged him. I could right. retire. <laughs> so, um before we go, uh, I want we usually ask people kind of at the end, what's been maybe one positive thing that you've taken out of this COVID experience that you'll kind of keep with you going forward? Um, slowing down, you know, being able to um, doing less and enjoying it more, I think, um, you know, my day is my day is pretty small. I go to work, you know, over in that chair <laughs> and and then you know once a day my 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 wife who's here and i will take our dog and we'll go for a walk so we get to connect a lot more and you know i mean everybody i've talked to has said the same thing we'll say like what are you going to do today i'm like eh, you know i might uh i might fix the hinges on the bathroom door that's the thing and that's like the one thing and that's a big deal now because it used to be we used to run around doing 10,000 things and I really enjoyed slowing down a little bit and um, I hope coming out of this that we all find a way to keep a little bit of that and uh, and also you know it's it's made me connect more with you know my dad he's almost 90 he lives in Kelowna he's doing fine but you know I I want to check in on him more and i've certainly been talking to him a lot more and it's been great and i think i've you know connecting with the people who are important to me has been another nice um side benefit of all this mm -hmm. yeah it's very well said and you know if not for uh, covid we we wouldn't be connecting with individuals like you and we really appreciate yeah. that and want to thank you very much for coming on and for sharing some of your story with well, us thank you so much i appreciate it Thank you. And you're welcome to come back anytime. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Guys. All right. Have a great day. You too. Thanks so much. Jeff. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, wait, wait, no, sorry. One last thing I forgot to mention. Um, if anybody wants to follow your work or get in touch with you, is there a way for them to do oh, that? Oh yeah. Um, Instagram, I'm Jeff.coats. That's G-E-O-F-F -F dot Coates, C-O-A-T-E-S on Instagram. Or um, you can go to my weirdly named website, uh, sadochicken.com that's a long story <laughs> that's another hour i could do on that it's a it's a great website i've gone down the hole and i really enjoyed <laughs> okay. it so i highly recommend it thanks 
All right. Thanks so much, Jeff.